Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What we really need to embrace is this concept of how entangled we are, how embedded we are in nature, how we're part of a system. And once we start to realize that, it becomes more about the quality of relationships we create. And you can affect change, I think. That is Dr. Eski Britton. And this is episode 203 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thanks for being here. This is it. Episode 203 with Dr. Eski Britton. You can find her on Twitter. Uh, no, Instagram is where she is. You can find her on Instagram at Eski Surf. E-A-S-K-E-Y-S-U-R-F. E-A-S-K-E-Y-S-U-R-F. That's her on Instagram. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about her in a moment. Uh, thank you for being here. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for downloading this. Thanks also for all of you who downloaded Tall Tales and True, the other podcast I'm working on at the moment with the ABC, which is a storytelling podcast about mental health. Uh, we launched it on Mental Health Day last Tuesday and uh, went top 10. Pretty happy. Uh, but yeah, you can find it in the app that you're listening to this on right now. Tall Tales and True is what it's called. You can always send me your emails if you like. Send Osher email at gmail.com. That's where I am. Thank you so much for all the podsies this week. Uh, what's a podsy? It's a photograph of what you're listening to. Oh, sh I say that every time. It's a photograph of what you're looking at while you're listening to this show. So uh, whether you're looking at, I don't know, the, the mess that you're cleaning or the, the dishes you're doing or the car that you're driving once you've pulled over or wherever you are in the world, uh, shoot us a photo, send us your email at gmail.com or you can tag me on Instagram or Twitter or wherever you like. I've uh, got a great one, uh, very appropriate for this show. Uh, I've got a great one from Coastal Ireland. Uh, which looked all very dark and Game of Thronesian. It was really good this week. So wherever you are in the world, whatever you're doing right now, I'd love to find out more about you 
sandosherimail at gmail.com. To check in with you, I should check in with you. It's been a it's been a tough week, tough week, I'm not going to lie. As you know, I quit my radio job this week. Um, and so as a result, there's like a lot of shift and flux in, in my life at the moment about how things are going to settle and what's the next routine um, that I'm going to work with. Um, I'm sure you'll know what I'm talking about um, when you're not exactly sure where the next moves are and, you know, how the next, you know, few months or year is going to look. Um, uncertainty is something that I'd like to be better with. Uh, that is very much, in my experience, a function of just being okay with what is and being present. So, I, you know, I guess I know I just have to remember that um, just to be okay with how it is right now and uh, have an idea of what's coming up, but not trying to predict it too much because uh, my catastrophizing has been pretty damn fine this week. But, you know, I did what I should do, and that is, you know, talk to people. I talked to Audrey, talked about how the next year or so might play out because it was hard to pack, it was hard to picture what might happen next year. I needed some help kind of setting expectations and, and kind of getting a picture of what it might look like, and that really helped a lot. You know, I, I just had this big kind of blank, I don't know what's going on. So I... Oh, you know, I did what I normally do. I freaked out. Uh, but it did help a lot. And I have been talking about this a bit in the last few weeks, maybe because I am going to have to step up. I am stepping up the tools that I use to cope uh, a lot more since I'm on a lower dose of meds at the moment. But physical exercise is playing a huge role in making my head feel better this week. Oh, a lot. Sometimes my anxiety it gets so bad, it feels like... It feels like I've been sitting on a plane for 12 hours, but not having been able to get up and walk. You know, all you want to do is move those joints, but you just can't. Um, and my body locks up. It f feels bloody awful. So, uh, you know, I know what I have to do, and that is to do the opposite of what I want to do, which is hide in a corner. Uh, I have to get up and move. And so what I do is I, I, I pop downstairs and I get on my bike and I, you know, kind of go for about an hour or so, get the body moving, release some endorphins, flush out the icky out of my body. And it goes a long way to making things feel a lot better. That and sleeping more. I've had some shitty sleep this week. I think I've got five hours a night tops. Uh, you know, Abby uh, Coleman, who I do radio with, she and I both concurred that Fitbits are great, but they're much better if you don't wear them because if you don't know how much how little sleep you're getting, you feel a lot better through your day. When you look at it and go, four hours and 12 minutes, you, you feel horrible all day. Uh, but uh, I am recording this on a Saturday, which has panned out to Audrey's Gone to work today. Gigi's off dancing. I managed to have a sleep in. That was pretty awesome. I felt a lot better. Sleep is super, super important. I need to go a lot further in my life to protect it. So whatever you're doing in life this week, I want you to just look after yourself, but also allow those around you to look after themselves. If if someone you know is vocal enough to say, hey, I'm just going to need a little space around this just to have a rest or you know relax or recover, just bear in mind they're only doing it so they can be better to be around. They're just doing it so they can be a better human, better at work, better at being a wife or a father or a husband or whatever. Give them that space. You'll both benefit. So let me tell you about my guest today. Dr. Eski Britton is a passionate ocean advocate from Donegal in the rugged northwest of Ireland. You can find her on Instagram, Eski Surf, E-A-S-K-E-Y-S-U-R-F, where you can follow her adventures around the world. She and I met in Amsterdam when I attended the Think School of Creative Leadership. She's been on this show before, and I'm super stoked to have her back. Eski's a founding uh, co-founder of Waves of Freedom, uh, which she talked about last time, which uses surfing as a creative medium for social change. 
And last time she was on this podcast, she described in wonderful detail her joy of teaching women and girls in Iran how to surf on the Caspian Sea. Uh, she's an inspirational public speaker. You can find her TED Talk, Just Add Surf, which is a must-see. A fascinating woman, Eastgi. She's got a passion for the ocean and a passion for protecting the oceans and therefore all life on Earth. And, and it really is something to behold. She's just become a founding member of Ocean Collective, which is dedicated to building a model for sustainable ocean management around the world, basically helping uh, helping people manage, I guess, traditional fishing practices or, uh, you know, food security around making sure that there will still be fish when you go back the next day to go get some more for your fish and chips. She's a, a fascinating woman. I'm glad I got her on the show today because I really want you to hear this one. She's doing some incredible work at the moment in the space of how contact with nature influences wellness. And like she's doing this work for the Department of Health up in Ireland. It's some big, it's some big research. I'll let her explain it more. But she's got some important stuff to say about getting out of the house, putting the phone down, really looking at the world as a way to make you feel better in your day. Um, it's really valuable. It's great conversation. Any time with Eski is, is wonderful, and I'm so grateful that she and I had a chance to Skype from what looked like her beautiful home where she lives in Donegal in Ireland. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Eski Britton. I'm happy to see you, Eski. How are you? Yeah, good. It's been a while. Yeah. Um, it's been a while. I haven't seen you yeah. since you, you came to visit, came to stay with us. Yeah, that's right. That was... That was probably about a year ago. How long was that? Yeah, over well over a year ago. <laughs> about a year ago. So you're in uh, you're in Donegal. You're in Northwest Ireland, and um, you've got wet hair. What have you been doing this morning? Oh uh, yeah, I decided I squeeze in a cheeky surf before the call. <laughs> and I'm a terrible timekeeper when I'm chasing waves, so I was like. <laughs> I got out of the water and had about 10 minutes to get back and throw myself together. So here I am. No, that's fine. <laughs> How were the waves this morning? It's good. It's just like someone just hit the winter switch all of a sudden. Uh, not that we had like an amazing summer or anything for Ireland, uh, but uh, it's the surf's, the surf's getting better, which is good. But it's gotten pretty stormy and, and, and pretty wet and wild over here. So are you the kind of person that will see that it's onshore and sloppy and go, nah, or do you just get in anyway? Um, we tend to get pretty spoiled with very good waves here, so. <laughs> uh, but I get in the water no matter what. I've started to do a lot more um, like open water swimming. Well, I say swimming, more like a dip <laughs> without the wetsuit because that kind of gives you an instant buzz and at least gets me through the day if the waves aren't epic. Um, otherwise, yeah, I'll go. There's so many nooks and crannies in the coastline here. You can usually find something that's that's sheltered, you know. And I'm sure you know every single one of them. Actually, no, but that's what I've been really enjoying doing for this last year, which we can talk more about. But I've, I've kind of, I've been such a, I guess, nomad traveling for most of my life that this year or so has been a lot more about being at home and what, what that's like. And so what is it like? I mean, you, uh, you know, when I met you, we were in Amsterdam and you weren't going back to Ireland in a hurry. And you've been all over the place. I mean, I think I met you, what, four years ago now? Um, and you've been all over the place, uh, all over the world. What was it that made you want to kind of go back home? Um, I don't know. I guess I've always had a strong connection with home, and that's probably why I've been able to 
do what I do and travel so much, having that solid base to come back and recharge. And um, I'm really lucky where I live on the coast, but it's kind of out in nature and family are all really nearby. And But I was never here long enough to really get like, connected or build my own sense of community. And, and then after a while, I kind of realized <laughs> there was, you know, stuff happening at home. I just I just was kind of feeling really disconnected from and then I had the opportunity also to focus my work more uh, in Ireland with this new research project I've, I'm a part of uh, at a university in Galway. And it's all around looking at the connections between nature, health and well-being. So I, I mean, it couldn't align with me more. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And so when you kind of get offered something like that, it's a, it's a three year project. I work on it part time, but that was an opportunity, like a sort of calling to to get back home. And through that project, kind of realizing just all the cool things that are happening in my own backyard. And then I get to actually go out and, and explore these places. And even in my own county, Donegal, um, which is in yeah the northwest of Ireland. I've been blown away by it like on a daily basis, which is a cool feeling. Did I see some of Dunny Gall in that latest Taylor Steele film? I wonder if I did. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. I don't know where. There was this one slab that was just so terrifying. But they were just hanging out at this pub. It's a freaking incredible film. It's one of the one of the better surf films I've ever seen. Um because it actually um and I've actually had him on the show, had him on the podcast, and I love the movie because it it really had that feeling of a surf trip because probably about 40, 30% of the film was surfing. The rest was just hanging around waiting for waves. Yeah, which is, <laughs> which is actually the truth of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I guess, and the other part of, of being, wanting to, I suppose, be in one place for a bit longer than, you know, I, a lot of the travel I was doing was for a couple of weeks or a couple of months at a time. Um, and you kind of lose your sense of any sense of groundedness. <laughs> and then the other thing is with surf, like you often just have to wait for the really good stuff. And in Ireland, too, with the big wave surfing in wintertime, it, it's really the place to be. So I, I kind of have I'm feeling this sort of unusual and lovely resistance, like building in me to stay put and not yeah. move beyond these like wiggly waggly contours of my own coastline, um, which is very unusual for me. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm usually pretty restless, but I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm liking this feeling because it feels new and different. Um, and then also I, I made, I kind of made this commitment to myself to sort of, I guess, my own personal challenge to see if I can like, dig in for the winter and wait uh, for the waves. You know, just watch and prepare and so much of what goes into it is all the, the build up, you know, all the time in between. Um, and then just to see if I can put myself in that place in, in the big waves and paddle some of these spots like Mullock Moor that are people are just starting to to paddle into. Um, and then the only way to know is just to, I guess, be there, right? <laughs> and then test how deep the commitment actually goes. <laughs> Because some of the, I remember the, I think the day I met you, you showed me a picture of a, of you on a wave that was as big as my house. Um, had you been towed into that wave or are you, because there's a difference between paddling in and towing in, a big difference. Yeah, I guess in Ireland, a lot of spots started to be, begin to be opened up or really the possibility of surfing these, these kind of waves only really kicked in around. 2007 so about 10 years ago 
um, with the some of the like, the first surfers um, riding the waves at the cliffs of Moher, so at the bottom of these like the, the big some of the biggest sea cliffs um, in Europe, if not the world. <laughs> Um, it's, it's really hard to get to, but it's also one of like the most popular like, tourist attractions in Ireland. So people have probably been going to the cliffs and like looking at these waves for years, but not knowing what they were looking at. And then how do you even get down there, access them? And then Mickey, a guy called Mickey Smith, who's actually from the UK, from Cornwall, came over around that time too. And he was just, sometimes you need fresh eyes um, on your own place to see things differently. So he created a massive shift um, and began something that's still kind of ongoing with this sort of, I guess, exploring where the boundaries lie in terms of what we can do in these sort of cold water um, surfing destinations. And I say cold water because I do think that has a massive factor to play in the the time type of wave and the, the type of commitment and just the energy it takes is, is really different um, and the patience you need to wait it out through storms. Yeah. But yeah, it began with the, I guess the jet ski um, is what's used for toe surfing, but it was the first, it was the thing that kind of opened it up because it gave access to these waves that we thought we couldn't get to, um, that we thought weren't surfable um, because they're so big and move so fast. And then I guess there's been a shift globally in the last maybe five years and in the last couple of years in Ireland, in a way like this back to paddle. Um, but it's not really like going back because they're just like just leaping forward and, and then paddling waves that not that long ago people just thought wasn't humanly possible. So you're relying now on, I guess, on human power rather than machine power, which is interesting in this day and age, actually. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm guessing there'd be a lot, of, a lot of training and stuff like that that goes into that uh, around the... Uh, look, I'll just say, just the balls to even do it. <laughs> yeah, I had a conversation with a friend of mine just yesterday. I was looking for um, actually a fin socks, which is something I thought I'd never ask for. But I had to clarify that it was for free dive fins, um, I, not not bodyboarding. Um, <laughs> though the bodyboarders I know in Ireland are, are, are really pioneering and they do absolutely insane things. Um, but anyway, so, it, but, so part of the training that I've found for myself that um, works really well is the training a lot of freedivers do. Um, so it's not so much the competitive how deep can you go stuff, but more the really what I found is that mind over matter. And just the excitement when you learn you can train the mind for these situations that you're, you know, hopefully don't find yourself in too often. Yeah. But that you know how to read the signs and I guess make that connection with your body and, and learn how to trust um, your abilities a lot more and expand what you're capable of doing. Because you'd be looking at some of the, you don't want to be trapped at the bottom of a cliff that you can't swim in from and, you know, have a set coming at you and go, oh, I might be spending three and a half minutes underwater here. Oh, good Lord, yeah. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully not that long. Uh, but you, you, you train, train to be able to hold your breath for at, at least that long. But, you know, the training is, happens more often in a, in a swimming pool and there isn't a ripple <laughs> and you're all zenned out, you know. Um, so a cousin of mine, um, William Britton, he's um, big into outdoors and adventure and promotes a lot of that in Ireland. But he also is a freediver. And he's come up with, in collaboration with a group of us and, and the Big Wave Surf crew in Ireland, come up with this um, program that he does called Survival, S-U-R-F. Ah. Um, so the 
Yeah. So the idea is to sort of actually simulate some of these like um, situations and sort of put put a, um, your body intentionally under more stress and then practice like breath holding. Um, so it's it's a lot of fun. Like when you get a bunch of us in the swimming pool, kind of rugby tackling each other in the deep end <laughs> underwater. <laughs> Uh, trying to simulate a white bike. <laughs> um, but a lot of it is the confidence building. And then the other part of it, when you do these kinds of things, training wise, is the creating the connection with each other um, so that, you know, you can really rely on and trust each other when you're out in those situations, because a lot of surfing is it's very you're on your own. It's it's quite um, an intimate, personal moment when you're actually on the wave. But I think a lot of it is with the big wave surfing is also at the importance of that sense of community um, and being part of, yeah, this crew that you really trust that, you know, you have each other's back. It's kind of really important. It must it must feel really great then to have been traveling for so long and now being so pun fully intended, Iski, immersed in that community <laughs> of of people that not only are your friends, but also you're essentially putting them in trust of your well-being your life in some situations yeah it's it's lovely to feel that sense of belonging i think in a weird way that's probably what i was seeking for a really long time um and it comes and goes and when we change and evolve and you maybe find belonging in different places um and for me i think just by the nature of where i grew up i've been very shaped by that so i think we get shaped by the, the places that we're kind of born into and grow up in and especially the environment. And then for me, like the Northwest like of Ireland, Donegal is, is considered by most, it's like the remotest region. It gets like the cops, the worst of the weather before it hits the rest of the country. So we're exposed to that full brunt of the Atlantic. Um, and it's pretty raw and wild and elemental. And so I, I've, now noticed about myself that that's really wherever I am that's where I find my aliveness like that's what energizes me if I'm exposed to kind of really intense nature or if I'm yeah really immersed yeah <laughs> in these environments and and of course the sea um so that was always drawn to the sea because that also I think for me felt like home um, or I felt like I belonged. So I was way more at ease with myself in those settings and then struggled a lot more in the more busy, social, urban, like happening stuff. Um, so I've had to like work way harder at that. And now funnily enough, it's like this nice merger of the two happening. <laughs> I've got to tell you, sorry, about what we were talking about, about traveling. I did find for many years that when I went away and when I was living away, it was because I felt uncomfortable with who I was and where I was, and that feeling was allayed by me traveling, you know. And part of, you know, where I met you in Amsterdam, it was just suddenly I was in this new environment, this new society, this new place to be, and it was all, you know, very exciting, and I could reinvent who I was to a whole new group of people every time. And that was, you know, being able to reinvent who I was to a whole new group of people every time and, and, and define who I was and see my definition of myself reflected in them because they didn't know me. That was really refreshing. Um, but it wasn't until <laughs> I, I learned to just be okay with wherever I was that Australia felt suddenly this incredible place to be and this 
beautiful, uh-huh. beautiful country full of wonderful people and it would be okay if if I stayed. And what you mentioned before about finding a sense of community because, and I, I, we have this in common, I feel, and that because I did travel so much over the, you know, 10 years or so and through other factors in my life, I did isolate myself a bit from that sense of community and isolate myself mm-hmm. from a bit of knowing other people and, and being a part of other people's lives and being around other people a lot. That's not to be underestimated with making you feel good as a human. You know, that is that we're, we're, we're community animals. We're, you know, part of our health is being around other people and caring for others and being cared for mm. and allowing ourselves to be cared for. Oh, God, that's it, isn't it? The, oh, you've nailed it. The allowing ourselves to be cared for. And I realize that's just, yeah, that's a, it's been coming up for me as, as a really big thing underlying a lot of this other stuff. When I dig down into it, it's, it's that. Um, it, and one level, just how I even care for myself. Mm. And, but this allowing others to care for me um, or, or for us, it, it's, it's challenging when so much of um, my life has been framed by these characteristics of like independence um, and being really sort of, you know, self-reliant and they're all like noble qualities to have. But I realized I had also, yeah, isolated myself from the, that other part that you're talking about. I realized when I, when I came home and started to spend more time at home, that there were all these amazing people there in my life that had been for years but I only knew them in the context of you know covered head to toe in our wetsuits in the lineup and having a bit of banter between waves and never really having a conversation or hey let's go for a coffee and I want to know more about you it was just like for years just these little snippets in the lineup and then because my world would be I would come home and I would surf and then I would basically it's where I would remove myself from the world and recharge mm. and only expose myself to close family. And so I didn't really engage much socially. And and I realized I didn't allow myself, allow others the chance to even connect deeply with me or get to know other aspects of who I was beyond, mm. you know, Iski flying along on, on that wave on her pink surfboard. Um <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, by by just being here, showing up more and hanging around longer, like between surf sessions and just simply, yeah, getting to know people, it's changed so much. And then I've realized things about myself through how other, through how people are seeing me, seeing me in a different light, I suppose. And um, um, it's, it's, yeah, really surprising. And just, I feel more relaxed. Like I'm allowing myself to be more fully who I am and not compartmentalizing my life and different aspects of who I am. Tell me about um, this project that you've come back to work on. It sounds just fascinating that, well, well, well first tell me, tell me, you kind of touched on what you're hoping to find out. Could you uh, give us the um, hypothesis that you're looking to explore? Yeah. Um, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't believe how it's come about in the timing of things. It really is, it kind of fulfills that um, philosophy I often bang on about, which is like trust the process. <laughs> yeah. It could be really hard. But like, how this came about was um, it started at um, 
in 2016. It's hard to keep track of years at this stage. God. <laughs> so kind of coming towards the end of 2015, I, I was back home in Ireland. I had been doing a lot of, I kind of, I suppose, really hustling my own projects um, um, and not being, and in a way, not having the support of we'll be working with a bigger team or essentially like, okay, let's, let's just be straight up about it. I was unemployed, didn't have a job, had no idea where my income was going to come from um, at the start of the year. And this was like November and, you know, you see your bank balance just going. <laughs> so luckily, you know, I've got good family support. So I was at home and had a roof over my head and I have my surfboard. So I was surfing. Um, my well-being was doing OK. And I came out from a surf session and had this missed call on my phone and a, and a voice message. Um, and it was from the... Um, the team at Galway University saying that the proposal we put in had got funded. Um, so I was delighted. And it's for this project called Near Health. And it looks at, as I said, yeah, the connections between, well, I guess the hypothesis is uh, how does being in nature and the outdoors and our um, near environment influence or impact our sense of well-being and, and our health? And then breaking it down further, it's like, well, how are we engaging in with the nature and the outdoors in Ireland? Like, what does that look like? And what are the barriers to like to being um, in these places and to experiencing nature? Um, and then what are some of the bridges? So what are people already doing to connect with nature? And it looks at it kind of at the more grassroots community level of what's happening in Ireland um, and in terms of the the health benefits looks at the more just the general um, sort of boost we might get from it, uh, from a dose of nature every day, um, as well as the more restorative um, benefits of, um, I guess, being more deeply and intentionally immersed in it. So looking at some of these kind of nature based programs that engage people with different needs um, who are, who are in recovery from various illnesses. Um, and in particular, a lot of the evidence is showing um, it's really beneficial in terms of mental health. Uh, so there's, it's just a really exciting space that's opening up, I feel like globally. Um, uh, a lot of attention kind of hit the media around Richard Lou's um, nature deficit disorder that he coined um, and how we are suffering um, from a lack of, um, I guess, yeah, from a lack of being in nature, we're very uh, disconnected from it and the impact that's having, especially on, on kids growing up, for example, and how that follows us through into adulthood. Uh, but also what is already there on our doorstep and how if we, if we can kind of shift our perspective, um, engage with it in a different way. It has massive impacts, like really positive benefits. From what I can see on the, on the Skype camera and from what you've shown me of where you live, you're you're pretty close to nature. I mean, you've, you've been immersed in it this morning. You're in the water. You're in the ocean. Um, are you? How do you tackle dealing with people who live in really highly urbanized environments? Um, yeah, it's it's this. In, it's really. I guess the challenge is in the world today with what's going on um, globally and the planet. <laughs> it's it is very much that um, dynamic of how nature provides both this kind of greatest threat and greatest opportunity for for our communities, um, for our cities. Um, and 
a lot of what this project is about is exploring, I guess, that fusion of um, our mind and body landscape and how our emotions kind of are connected to these places. And I, I think in, in terms of urban environments, it's it's really interesting because part of the issue, as I see it, is this separation that we, we've created between nature and society. So even using the word nature kind of assumes that it's um, something else or something other than us uh, because that that division or divide is so strong. Um, and I, I think it's a total fallacy. <laughs> Uh, I think it needs a massive reframe of, of instead seeing how embedded um, society is within nature, um, how we are nature, uh, and so that we're part of this kind of system. And a lot of this this area um, of research that I'm looking at, a lot of it is kind of taking place or has kind of been initiated actually in cities and urban areas, because that's where I guess the most people are and perhaps the greatest need is. Mm. Um and so the, I guess the evidence is showing well, what a huge impact even like um, in kind of reintroducing really small elements of nature um, back into cities or what they call green spaces. Um, and I've been a big promoter of what's being called blue space. <laughs> so this um, sort of water, essentially water environments um, that are like you know, rivers, uh, lakes, the sea, of course, and um and, you know, just I had a, a lovely visit from a, another dear friend of ours, um, Ayana, Ayana Johnson. And we had this conversation. She's doing amazing work in New York City um, around oceans. Um, so this idea of urban oceans. And if you think about it, most of our cities, um, cities and towns, they're all on the sea or the coast. Mm -hmm. and, and a huge amount of the world's population lives pretty, pretty near the sea as well. Um, and yet that's there's there's a massive disconnect there too but also huge potential if we kind of thought, thought about these things differently so i mean I, I had um on this show i had uh uh dr glenn richards he's a he's a vet he's a famous vet in australia who's created like the biggest um vet uh, and pet shop in in the country he's an incredibly wealthy guy he's on um, shark tank or dragon's den you call it in the uk um and he said that the research has shown that even having a goldfish in a bowl can impact your have really positive health benefits on you because you have to care for something um is what you're talking about does it go all the way down to well i bought myself a plant and i'm just going to try and keep a plant alive uh <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean it, it goes from everything i've, I've been sort of um so i sort of maybe perhaps one end of the spectrum working with this beautiful kind of in a way, it's a it's a nature reconnection program, but it's also quite simply about just going surfing. Um, so it's with this organization called Liquid Therapy, and I've had the chance to sort of follow a group of these 10 kids on the journey for 10 weeks throughout the summer in Ireland on the beach where I learned to surf, Rosnaula. And they've, been, they've come like every, every Monday evening and we go surfing. Um, and so the, these kids have been uh, surfing for a few years and have been kind of selected for the program because they're just, I guess, so passionate about about the sea. And they're all on, I guess, the autism spectrum, um, somewhere along that spectrum. And it's been incredible to sort of witness firsthand their whole sort of 
transformation in such a short space of time, really. And then also for that to be part of my work. <laughs> so we're working with um, with those kinds of like with organizations like liquid therapy to help them, I guess, understand what we already intuitively know and feel, especially as surfers in terms of how healing the water and and waves especially can be. So try to understand what is it in particular about these environments? What is it about water and the waves? And it's such a multi-sensory experience. Um, and what impact does it have on who? And so looking at all those details and helping them evaluate and communicate um, how it how it is of benefit and to sort of to help I guess, raise more awareness about the importance of this kind of way of interacting with our environment and this kind of way of thinking about our health and how we heal ourselves, um, you know, rather than the, the alternative, right, which is um, um, prescribing a dose of pills and, and increasing, I guess, the disconnect with how we feel in our bodies and how we feel in our environment. But it also operates at, at a really, at the simplest level, like you're saying, with the goldfish in the bowl, even if you have, um, I'm sitting here in, on my laptop, and right in front of me, like eye level, is this picture of, what, of an amazing wave I surfed years ago. Um, but apparently, the studies have shown too that even if you just look at an image of of nature, and it also shows water as a is an even stronger kind of um, has a, a kind of stronger effect. So it can just just be like a visual, like painting or a photo <laughs> that already triggers changes in our, you know, in our brain chemistry and in our mood. And um, and even if you don't even have a photo or an image or something to look at wherever your space is, uh, the power of the mind. So by visualizing one of our favorite places in nature, like just taking a moment to sort of tune into that and and go there in our mind. Um also has an effect, immediate effect on how we're feeling, which is so cool because that means that it's it's with you all the time, <laughs> answering the question of what what to do if we're stuck in a city or a, a you know office building. So just to rewind for a second, what changes did you notice in the the kids you're working with that were on the autism spectrum? Um, oh wow, I guess we're only un unpacking it all now, but I guess there's a, a few different things. I asked the kids at one of the last sessions you know, what they thought the most important skill to have for surfing was. And I kind of, the, the first thing they said and then the most common sort of word that came up was confidence, um, which I, I thought that was, it was really impressive. It wasn't like, oh, well, you need this kind of surfboard or you need to be strong or, um, but yeah, this this idea of confidence and really seeing their confidence blossom. Um, so just how much more they came out of themselves, how much more socially engaged they were, um, how strong their own sense of, I suppose, self-awareness and, and how they were feeling, how they're able to communicate their their emotions uh, and just their goddamn absolute fearlessness and joy in the water. <laughs> they just want it like more and bigger and um and then just uh, talking to, I suppose, their, their parents um, who be down on the beach as well, it, it has, I guess, a double effect. So it was also a chance for um, the parents to connect. So there's this sense of I saw for each of the kids, they, they formed, they became their own, I guess, little tribe. So they all started out and they didn't know each other either. And then they also like the kids just said that that's again, that sense of belonging, like of being recognized and seen and um, 
being recognized for for being really good at something as well um i think that that was that was a really big part of it um yeah i guess well it's, it's beautiful to hear and as and you know just hearing you talk Iski, just seeing the light in your eyes when you talk about the waves it just makes me you know realize how long it's been since i've actually been in the water and i've felt the power of a wave push me along um, I'm going swimming in the pool every Monday with uh, Georgia, mm. um, and that's one thing to get in the get in the pool. But it's it's not feeling the energy of the ocean and the energy of the world pushing you around and having your body, you know, being at the whim and at the mercy of this energy much bigger and greater than yourself. And all that stuff is very. I mean, as you said, it's stuff that you already know, and I've you know got a glimpse in it. Certainly not to your level, but it sounds like something that. Um, someone who burns sage and smells of patchouli will tell you, oh, if you want to feel better, get in the ocean, get in the forest, get in the water. But here you are, you know, you're a proper university person doing proper university study with university funding. <laughs> you know, you're, I'm guessing what you're looking for is like a scientific ability to go, no, here's a fact, here's a paper, here it's published, go for it. That's tough. Yeah, it's it's so interesting that I'm... <laughs> It, you know, because it can get really depressing and I struggle with it, the the despair almost that we feel and the sort of sense of collective guilt because we all are being told that we have a hand in this, you know, in the, the climate change and an environmental crisis that we're in and that we're, yeah, it's, you know, and, and then the sense of overwhelm and collective numbing that happens in response rather than anyone feeling the will to take any action. So to be in part of a project that's actually looking at, hey, what's really good about the environment and this more positive framing of, of how we, we benefit from it. And and I guess that hope is ultimately then that it leads to a shift in attitude and understanding so that there is greater care. Um, and part of the project is trying to understand how do people value um, nature and the environment? And the hardest part, obviously, is to how do you engage people who who are really disengaged, who who don't see or feel any connection or have any desire even to maybe be immersed, you know? And, and then also the water, the, the barriers. So there's a lot of fear around these environments, especially water environments. Um, but so my work is really exploring what what that you know, exploring that relationship um, between people and their environment and, and especially the sea. And so a lot of the people that we kind of work with in terms of community groups are already engaging um, and working on how to, to get more people, I guess, outside. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they say they really struggle trying to communicate um, what, why it's so important um, because there, it's, there is still a lack of evidence, um, though that's, that's rapidly changing. So it is a lot of trying to connect the dots between what's happening in practice, um, you know, what I've been doing in, in my own work as well, not just as a, as a researcher, but with what happened, say, with um, taking something like surfing to Iran and working with women there and seeing all the benefits experiencing them firsthand um and then now being on on the other side and trying to make that connection with with um the evidence in terms of the science uh with what people are already doing and then how you communicate that to like the policymakers to encourage this change in um how we yeah how we design and plan and and promote these outdoor spaces and how mm. we care for them you mentioned a collective numbing and it certainly something that I 
I feel, and yeah, despair. I, I mean, I, I got really sick about all this sort of stuff right around the time that I met you, actually, but mm-hmm. I feel a lot better than I did. But still, I think today we're in the eighth day of spring in Sydney. It's usually early 20s, right? It's 32 degrees today, all right? And it feels like a summer, <laughs> it feels like a summer night, you know? And it's tough, you know? It, it's tough to be like, no. Yes, it's a lovely day, but no, it shouldn't be happening. <laughs> and I can understand why numb is a reaction because it's such an overwhelming thing to deal with and I'm this one tiny little human on the face of this planet. You know, I, I get why people go numb about it and why people don't want to talk about it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was invited onto a panel at a... Um we had this huge music festival in Ireland called Electric Picnic. Um, and interestingly, and um, it actually is right in the center of the country. So it's far away as you could get from, from the sea, basically. <laughs> um, and the, the topic uh, or theme was uh, how can we be well in a sick sea? Um, which I thought I thought was really interesting, um, both in terms of how we understand what it means to be well, and then this this idea of a, of a sick sea. Uh, and for me, I kind of I kind of thought about it, and I, yeah, it's really challenging because I, I get so I, I kind of you feel that like like it hurts even in my body when you read something like how scientists have now discovered in, in, you know, 84% or don't quote me on this, but <laughs> I'll say a lot of our drinking water already has like trace amounts of these microplastics, for example, or um, plastic fibers. So that this, this fact that something that gives life like water and that, that we, we drink and we're putting back into our bodies, obviously what we've created and kind of discarded in, in the world. But for me, I, I think and instead that can be that's really despairing. But what it also highlights is I think what we really need to embrace is this concept of how entangled we are, how embedded we are in nature, how we're part of a system. And once we start to realize that, then it becomes more about the quality of relationships we connect uh, or create um, with each other, uh, ourselves our, our sort of local environment and you can affect change I think locally and it has to happen like at that level as well with the d- daily habits that we embrace um, the mindset <laughs> we have the lens we choose to look through as well as um, I think it has to happen at both levels as well as it needing sort of a massive shift in, in how we think about um well, consumption and all of that side of things, I think, but I think there's a lot of pressure put on the consumer to like, hey, just change, change your buying habits and make the world a better place, which is really important. But you also need, um, you know, you need the rules and regulations to come in on high as well at a sort of government, national, global level to go, hey, actually, the way we're doing things, um, this really needs to to shift. So it needs support at both both levels. You're a you're a scientist, you've dedicated your life to not only exploring the world, but also looking at it through a scientific eye. How do you deal with the frustration that I'm sure you feel when you see evidence and you see an action out of that evidence, and yet you're trying to talk to a policymaker or, or something and there's just you just got a blank face in front of you? How do you deal with the frustration of dealing with people who can't see what you're trying to tell them? Um, 
I, yeah, it's a really good question. <laughs> so what I also do in, in my, I guess, work or approach to life is um, really try to apply, I think, as well as sort of the benefits just like being in, in water and, and the sea, I really try to use it as a life metaphor as well, like this kind of active life metaphor. Um, and I think water is a, a really powerful one, like it's been used for millennia in that way. And um, I really um, love the like some of the work by Lao Tzu, um, the Taoist. So he was around, I think, in sixth century BC. <laughs> um, and his kind of philosophy on water was this idea that um, his quote is like nothing in the world is softer than water, but for attacking the hard, the unyielding, it has no equal. So my takeaway from that is there's this um, balance, probably that I feel that I need to strike between, you know, how hard do you push? How hard do you try to like make things happen as opposed to um, this creating this space to, to allow things to happen? Uh, so I guess that's more that softer approach. Um, and for me, a lot of my life has been very much the make happen, like just driving loads of drive um, just yeah taking that energy from the sea and just like you know attacking things really head on you know which is important and you need that but I'm I'm also kind of excited by the power that comes from I think the importance of creating these spaces where we can allow for um uh change to happen in a, in a different way so this in a so-called softer approach um and and it may seem slower, but I think the impact can be really profound because it allows for this uh, kind of perspective shift to happen that isn't confrontational and doesn't create a shutdown for people where this just seems like it's too big, too new or too strange. Um, so for us, we're, with the Near Health Project, it's a project funded by the Environmental Protection Agency and the Health Service. So these big sort of national bodies and institutes in Ireland who have a very, you know, their own agendas. But they've come together and sort of started a dialogue and they've opened space for this research to happen. So that's a really amazing first step. Um, um, and for them, just making that link between, you know, a healthy environment and, and healthy humans. <laughs> is is a big thing um and so it's just for i guess i see my role is how do we just uh, keep opening that space up um and not shutting it down can you for um, some people might not have really does that make sense or yeah it I does just... it does i just want to kind of clarify because <laughs> some folks might not have you know heard the concept of making a space for a change to happen before i mean not everyone's going to be dealing with politicians or policymakers or stuff like that but everyone listening has you know a frustration in their life where there's a change that they are seeking but they can't find it can you maybe talk through what making a space for a change to happen might look like yeah i i think it comes from i'm trying to think of, of a way of well i think a lot of the the spaces that we find ourselves in today is that we're we're really triggered by so many things so it's either very distracting because there's so much going on um you know, with our, our phones going off and our, our alerts and our emails and, our <laughs> and trying to juggle all these aspects um, of our life. Um, so or meeting really um, have, you know, a lot of resistance or 
being in situations where we're experiencing really uncomfortable feelings. And so making space there would mean, I, I guess, just taking a moment to pause and not try to actually change anything at all, but just to just be with it, if that kind of makes sense. So that more, I guess, mindfulness-based approach um, in that you're becoming aware of just how you are right now in this moment and just allowing yourself to actually feel that. Um, and then as soon as you start to do that, I think a great way of doing that is simply just obviously noticing how you're breathing. Um, it's such an automatic thing, but we can get from one end of the day to the other without ever having consciously thought about um, the breath and how that feels in our body, which is kind of mental. <laughs> Um, and I use it all the time, like as an athlete in, say, big wave surfing, and I feel my heart rate start to go up and my body start to tense because I'm anticipating, oh, there's a really scary wave coming. Um, and then if I just sink into, I notice that feeling and then I like, oh, OK, and then just focus on what I am, what I have kind of control of, which is my breath. <laughs> I don't have control of the ocean. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Um, and then it's amazing just like breathing into my belly and, and it, uh, immediate um, relaxation that happens in my body and nothing has changed in terms of the context. There's still that scary wave coming. But how I feel in terms of my sense of preparedness and confidence has completely shifted because I took a moment to allow myself to really sink into the moment. So that's one way of making space at a really personal, um, personal level. Um, another way, I guess, of making space is to go back to the example of this experience, this kind of really unusual experience of surfing with um, women in Iran for the first time. And so there you have a, a space where you're introducing something completely unfamiliar and unknown into to the mix. Um, uh, so surfing had never been done before uh, 2013. And I went back on the sort of invite of um, Iranian sportswomen who wanted to try something like surfing when they saw that I had done it when I visited the country in 2010. And, and there, so you, you kind of just have to be really open to the unexpected. You have no idea what the outcome is going to be, if it, what's going to be possible. Um, and what has really come about there was this, um, you know, could have, it could have taken so many different ways, but it, it was more about how do we create a space um, for women to experience this connection with the sea and how their bodies feel in water in a way that's just r really safe and trusting and also encourages um, more women to want to do it and encourages this kind of openness and acceptance around the idea of women in water rather than it creating any kind of controversy or, or any putting up even more barriers. Um, and so that was an interesting way of creating space um, in a very different context. There's a, it's interesting when you, when he talks about creating space and, you know, finding that, I mean, the, the surfing metaphors are always wonderful when you speak them because <laughs> you just have a, such a wonderful way. Like, but what if the wave was, uh, someone who's so opposed to same-sex marriage and what can I do? I mean, because that's what's happening in Australia at the moment. I don't know if you know, but politically we've got a, a bit of a shit fight on our hands here and that um, where the government has decided to take a plebiscite on whether, you know, uh, same-sex couples of the same mm. sex should marry. And it's just, it's one-line question Jeez. and it's a yes or no tick box. And 
it, it's it's quite mm. it's quite full on because the people who are in the no camp are, as you mentioned before, triggered. And anytime you even go, but what if <laughs> the wall goes up? You can't even ask a question. Um, you know how you know what the world look and how it might affect you and and trying to find a way to help that space arrive in others so you can even begin to ask the first question that might perhaps pry their mind a little bit more open to changing their mind is is very tricky very tricky well how long ago did ireland legalize same-sex marriage um 2015 2015 yeah we had that and it was by popular vote so i think it was the first country to do it by popular vote um and and i don't know if I don't know if it's the only country, but yeah, because of our the way our sort of constitution is, we had to go to referendum. So yeah. it was incredible. Um, given you know that Ireland, it's not that long ago that we've come out of an extremely conservative, very sort of church-controlled kind of situation. Um, and we have, I guess, a, a, the new battle in our hands is uh, this repeal the eighth is, is a big campaign at the moment to change the to repeal the Eighth Amendment and it's around. Um, interestingly, <laughs> it's, we're still sort of fighting for women's rights uh. <laughs> in, in that case in Ireland. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just, there's lots of change underfoot. Um, yeah, to go to go back to that, um, your question around when you sort of, you sort of, yeah, bump up against a, like a door that gets slammed in your face or you meet that resistance. Um, yeah. And I, I work with some amazing people and amazing women. And, and one of the women I've had the chance to uh, connect with is uh, Shireen Garami. So she's uh, Iran's first female triathlete. And she came along with me in 2015 to this part of Iran where surfing is kind of taking hold now after being initiated by women. But she's not a surfer. She brought this sort of, again, fresh eyes and this different perspective. Um, but she has this really strong water connection, you know, as a mm. swimmer, too. Um, and also a much better understanding of, of what those bridges and barriers are for, for women in in Iran, in those parts of the world who want to pursue their passion and meet these different kinds of barriers. So she's someone who's just met so much resistance and a lot of doors slammed in her face yeah. and has the most serene attitude about it all. Like she's fierce, but she definitely takes the the sort of power of water philosophy in terms of how it's it seems really soft and fluid, but it's probably it's the strongest force in the world. And she just like, has the... Um, like with what was happening with surfing, there was some people wanting to, I guess, leverage it and use it as this tool for um, <clears throat> around the issue of, like, say, the liberation of women or mm. about trying to, like, change an entire system or change these sort of gender rules uh, or religious rules. And I mean, those things are absolutely massive. And And then if you go in with that kind of mindset, you're going to create conflict straight away. Um, but for Shireen, how she saw it was the instead the importance of using something like surfing because it's so playful, because it's in this space between worlds, literally it's on the edge of of, of the land in, in the water. Um, and then using that water um, metaphor again to sort of highlight how 
um, boundless these connections are, how interconnected everything is. But she was she's very big on on using something like that to showcase the beauty in our differences. Um, because what what happened was when people and like have that kind of shared experience, um, it allows us also to be truly who we are when we surrender to something like the playfulness of waves. So yeah. when you're confronted with that, you're out of your comfort zone. Um, it's yeah. What I'm trying to say is, I guess, is surfing it wasn't so much about learning to surf. It was about basically putting people in this space that was like they're unfamiliar, they're out of a comfort zone, and they kind of really have to like sort of surrender to it. Uh, you mm. can't resist the waves coming at you. Um, and so actually we turned that into a really cool exercise that I now use and I do these different kind of workshops and leadership retreats um, and where we use something like surfing in the sea as a, not just a metaphor, but actually like put people, <laughs> immerse them in the environment and see what sort of leadership lessons that they could learn for life. And one is this one around wave play. Mm. Um, so what happens when we sort of resist these waves that are, that are coming towards us? So I get, you know, you get, you sort of meet this oncoming wave with all your strength as if you're going to stop it. <laughs> and what happens is no surprise. You get completely smashed and tossed around. And after, after like, like two or three times of doing that, you're almost totally energy wise. And then get people instead to, you know, we talk about these things like surrender, let go, uh, like what, what does that actually feel like, look like? And so we're able to do that in this environment. So with waves, where if you actually soften into a wave as it's coming at you, you just actually relax um, your entire body. Then you end, end up moving with the wave. And so then you experience a moment of what, what's called flow. Um, and you instead end up feeling uh, a lot more energized um, afterwards. And so it's looking for those moments in our lives, I suppose, where we meet resistance and asking maybe what would happen if instead we, um, yeah, we, we sort of find creative moments of flow out of it instead. Mm. Uh, what I would really love. It's not is, easy, though. <laughs> no, I understand. No, but surrendering to something more powerful than you is terrifying, Eski. You've got to, you know, just to know and trust that you'll still be there on the other side is a really frightening thing. Um, particularly if you've never been in the ocean before. What I would love is that uh, people listening to this uh, at some point in the next two weeks make a plan to go and just at least get at least get knee deep in the ocean, at least. I mean, surely that's going to be enough to make you feel different. Either. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what we're also finding with, you know, my experience with you know, as, as a surfer and doing this kind of work and in the research is that you don't even – you know, for me, it's like I, I need to feel like the full power of it. I need to be completely immersed. Um, one of the kids in like the, the surf therapy program, she really loves the intensity of the feeling of waves on her body, like that kind of pressure um, and energy. Um, but for other people, it's it's just it's maybe too much um, or if you've had a negative experience. So it's also like to be gentle with yourself. And for some, it's just enough to be by the sea to um, take a walk along along the beach or the coast, uh, dip your toes in it. <laughs> you know, it, it, it will already have an effect on you um, because of the sound of the sea and waves. Um, there, there's, you know, there's loads of studies coming out on, on all these like different ways that it impacts us. Um, 
the smell. Uh, so it's yeah, just about when you're in, you go into these spaces. Say if you're going for a walk, um, you can do loads of activities outside, but actually not be connected to your environment or to nature. And so it's about just bringing a kind of a different kind of awareness to what you do. And if you are going for a walk by the coast or outside, or yeah, see if you could see what you can notice, I guess, and tune in through different senses is a really nice way to actually get more connected. So through sounds and smells and as well as what you can see. But Eski, I'm, I'm walking through the forest. I wanted to use my phone to take photographs of people and Snapchat them live. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the role of technology in our uh, ever increasingly connected or disconnected world, <laughs> depending on how you look at it. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, you know what, I, I think that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, if, if that, if that is the first step where if you actually noticing something really beautiful and wanting to capture that moment and share it, um, I don't see anything bad at all with that. Um, um, but then it's a really good idea actually just to then, you know, take, take a snap and put the phone away. <laughs> and really uh, absorb the moment um, in as many ways as possible through your own senses as well as through the lens of the camera. I like what you were saying about trying to notice as many things as you possibly can as you walk along. Yeah, this the kind of this art of noticing. Um, it's, I guess it has a, also has a really calming effect. Um, and I do, it's, it's an exercise I, I do with people as well when we, we do go out outside um, and it's really useful in, in, in kind of work or challenges that we're, we're facing um, in life or a project we're working on and we're kind of stuck. And, you know, you need to get a perspective shift or you need, you're trying to get searching for that moment of insight. Um, and it usually doesn't come when you're really trying to find it. So I think by say, taking ourselves, um, outside and having a look around it it can come but by like by that it can be I so we did different exercises where you sort of walk around you can just say pick up a leaf and just get immersed in noticing the patterns in the leaf or or a shell or you know a lot of this stuff kind of they're introducing now through forest schools to like preschool kids um and it's such an amazing way of of thinking about the world we live in um and a lot of it is about how to tap into our innate sense of curiosity and wonder so i just just picking up like that the a pebble from the beach and going wow i wonder um why it has all these colors or patterns or why it's so smooth um, and rounded. And then that leads to this kind of exploration of, oh, wow, like how long has the rock been here? And um, where, where did it come from? And it's been shaped and smooth and polished by the waves over hundreds and thousands of years. And so it's, it's a really exciting way to start to understand our environment in a way that's not all science and books, <laughs> um, but also also then it, it transfers into the other thing that we were stuck at with work or um, or, or at home or whatever. Um, and it's sort of taking those sort of different kind of micro and macro perspectives. Mm. So like really zooming into something if, you, if you're going back to, say, taking photos on the smartphone. <laughs> 
But, you know, like really kind of zooming into the detail of like patterns on the bark of the tree or the texture on the surface of the water and then really zooming, zooming out to take in like the immensity of just how many different organisms are growing in in that piece of park or woodland or the expanse of the horizon of the sea. And so that really gives you your sense of place in the world um, and creates this kind of profound sense of connectedness or connection again too so there, there's actually just really simple skills and and things or practices we can do that that have a major impact as they build up you know over time so what you're saying is that it, it, if, if you just do this sort of thing on a fairly regular basis that you might notice the next time uh, barry from work is giving you shit you don't you don't snap at him so much <laughs> Well, I don't, yeah, there, there's loads of factors at play. I can't say there's a direct correlation, but no, it's, it's like, it's, we put so much emphasis on in terms of health and, and wellness and all of that. It, it's on a kind of fitness, but physical fitness primarily. So, and, and we're okay with that. Like go, go into the gym and, and sort of, you know, it's like training, training a muscle to do, do a certain task. Um, but this is kind of the same thing, but it's at a more, um, much more holistic level. Like it's about, um, I guess training both the mind and the body. Um, and it's, it's the same as going to the gym. It's like, you have this amazing sort of outdoor gym. That's just really good for the mind. You're getting physically fit because you're being active and moving out, moving in your environment. I think movement is really, really, really important. (laughs) Yeah. In terms of what doing doing something, I would say just just uh, noticing your breath, you know, at least once a day, <laughs> breathing from your belly, and then and then going outside. Um, even if you only start to do that for a few minutes minutes a day, just start to build on it, you know, and don't be hard on yourself. Um, but movement is so important. I've, I'm even finding like I'm someone who's active. I, I love surfing and being outside. But the nature of our work, how much I say drive, I'm at a laptop, um, that I'm noticing in my body the sort of tension that I have isn't coming from how I move or or surfing or I hurt it being too physically active. It's like I'm hurting it by be- <laughs> by being by sitting too much every day. Um, so I was kind of horrified at the thought of that I I'm also falling into those statistics um so yeah we, we can never move enough and i think if we get outside and we're in a natural environment it affects how we move and we move i think um we learn to start to move with our environment um rather than being detached from it then um you know a treadmill is great if that's your only form of exercise but yeah. i think actually going for a run outside has all these other added benefits whether you're conscious of it or not i'd like to think that we as humans might be, well, certainly I hope, certainly within my lifetime, we've worked since the start of the first industrial revolution really to isolate ourselves from the rigors of just surviving in nature, you know, just how far away can we get from being cold in the woods? We're going to build a house around us. We're going to make a furnace. We're going to build Mm -hmm. all these things. We're going to get as far away as we possibly can from that cold, hard-to-live, hungry place and in my lifetime, I'd like to think that we might go, actually, we're so isolated from it, it's actually not very good for us. How can we start to reintroduce that? Um, 
And I'd like to think that we might look at it and through the work that you're doing, we might look at it in a, in a different light, uh, as in overall a much more global health benefit to us and how much an intervention yeah. like what you're talking about, going to have a look at the sea, going to be in the forest, going, it's not hippy-dippy bullshit. It's like do this enough, you might no. avoid something big and nasty later in life. Absolutely. Yeah. It, I, I think the potential is huge. And I get excited because I feel like we're only at like the tip of the iceberg and there's so much potential and opportunity there. Um, I think we really need that. And we need those kind of stories and that kind of those kind of, I guess, a more solution minded approach rather than a problem <laughs> problem focused one um to counterbalance just i guess the yeah the, the shit we are in really. <laughs> um and you know then it is making a connection if, if the sea is sick then we are sick um and so it's it's really it isn't that interconnected um and now we actually don't have a choice we have to wake up to that re- as a reality and you mentioned thing about like care you know if you keep the goldfish in a, in a bowl it, it, it um encourages that sense of caring and how caring has um, a direct benefit on our personal well-being. And so one of the things happening this week in Ireland and around the world is the the big beach clean. So it's this massive global survey, huge mobilization of these kind of community groups hitting the coastline and the beaches and, and doing this massive cleanup of our coastline. And in part, it's to gather data on on what's what's there, like what's ending up in the sea. And so pretty much any sort of, I guess, rubbish or ocean litter that ends up in the sea got discarded on land at some point. So it's about changing our habits on land. But I'm teaming up with Clean Coasts are kind of organizing a lot of um, those cleanups in Ireland. And they're really interested in better sort of understanding not only what the environmental say impact is, but what are the benefits of actually getting people outside in these sort of in these community groups, socializing and becoming more aware of the marine environment and then doing something to care for that environment, what impact that has on their health and well-being. So we're, we're actually starting a kind of study to map that out um, and try to capture the effect that it has um, which is really exciting to make make that connection um, of just yeah under better understanding the marine environment in terms of our well being. Eski, um, I am so grateful not only that I know you, but I'm grateful that you exist in this world because it makes me happy that when I get worried about how, what the fuck we're gonna do, I'm like, well, there's, <laughs> there's probably a thousand, ten thousand Eskies out there who are all people like you, as passionate about what you do and have the ability to mobilize and, and, and help change people's minds. And so just thank you for everything you do, Iski, from the bottom of my heart. Oh, thank you. It's so good to, <laughs> yeah, to share this with you. Oh, I'm so <laughs> and excited. It is, it, it's contagious. The more I like coming home, the more I'm in, in this space and connecting with people, the more I'm just seeing all these sort of little like points of light and hope um, kind of spark. And there's so much happening just in in my own backyard alone, just in Ireland. Um, and now it's about the, I guess, the doing the work of connecting the dots yeah. so that we all become more aware of of the impact we have collectively um, and that our, this story gets heard. You know, I think that's a big part of creating the change um, at a at a bigger level. Well, don't be too long before you come back down to uh, <laughs> uh, beautiful Sydney. We'd love to have you anytime. 
Oh, thanks. You're a dream, Aski. Have a beautiful, beautiful day in Ireland. Oh, you too. That was Eastie Britain. If you liked hearing what she had to say, drop her a comment on Instagram. You can find her Eastie Surf E A S K E Y S U R F. She's a, a, a magnificent woman, and she deserves all of our support because she's doing some really, really important work. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Without you listening, I, I don't make it, and heaps of you make heaps of you listen. So I'm stoked to make it. Thank you so much for being a part of it. Uh, a big thank you to Haley, my production coordinator, who helped me uh, tee up that time with Eastgy through the different time zones. Andy, my audio producer, thank you so much. And also to Toe Hider, the magnificent Toe Hider, who, while on tour playing Viking metal in uh, Viking lands in, in Sweden, um, helped me figure out my goodbye song that I sang on the radio the other week. And he also did all the music for this podcast. So thank you today, Toe Hider. Until we talk next week. Thank you so much for being here. Sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.